This episode of Cinema of Meaning is sponsored by Mubi. Go to mubi.com slash cinema of meaning for your extended 30-day free trial. I watched this in a theater with a few other people. There was a couple beside me that were maybe in their 60s. And you were talking about how like you have to re-win the audience every time uh, you go to a new section. And I think like by the third section, like the second time it goes to black and then it starts at a new place, they mm-hmm. literally like groaned out loud and they left like 15 minutes before the end of the movie uh and were just like clearly oh, like so close. just not w- yeah they were so close <laughs> hello and welcome to cinema of meaning a podcast from myself thomas flight and from my fellow video essayist tom vanderlinden from the channel like stories of old that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the new Ari Aster film, Bo is Afraid. Before we jump into that, I just want to mention that this is a Nebula original podcast, which means you can get access to episodes a week early and without any ads when you listen on Nebula. You can find information on how to sign up for Nebula in the description below. You don't just get this podcast, you get access to a whole streaming service with a ton of great content, so check that out. Let's get into the episode. All right, so Bo is Afraid. Um, This one is going to be interesting to tackle. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was hoping to see it a second time before we recorded this because I saw it mm, like three weeks ago at this point. So some of my memory of it might be a little bit fuzzy, Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot of it that did just stick in my brain and might be lodged there for the rest of my life. So uh, whether I like it or not. So I think it won't be too hard to discuss you. You just saw it recently, I think, as well, Tom. So yeah. maybe you can jog my memory and guide me through the narrative a little bit more. Uh, I think we've both kind of been fans to some extent, or at least interested in uh, Ari Aster's last two movies. Um, so yeah, I was pretty definitely. excited about this one and interested to see, uh, you know, what it was, what it was going to contain. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a little bit. Uh, I, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this have probably watched it already. If you haven't, it's a, it's a little bit of a different vibe. It's still horrifying in a lot of ways, but th- this is this is something different than I think like Hereditary or Midsummer is. Um, so yeah, how do we how where where should we begin, Tom? <laughs> what what do you what are your first impressions or thoughts? Um, yeah, as you said, for me it was something very different from what I expected from an Ari Aster film. Um, But I think that may have been deliberate on his part. He's only made two movies, two horror movies, and I don't think he wants to be necessarily be the the horror guy. So um, I think it's uh, maybe time to let go of that narrow box that we put him in and then uh, see what else he can do. And apparently that resulted in this strange uh, not a little movie like a very big (laughs) movie yes um but yeah my my first impression was um that it was because it it came out later here like it only released last week um and by the time i was able to see it i'd already heard like so many responses from people in the united states uh a lot of like extreme responses also like some people loved it 
Others hated it to the point where they were almost angry at A24 for making it and <laughs> right. for wasting so much money and uh, on, on such a big project that only wastes uh, three hours of your life. Um, <laughs> right. But um, like my first impression was that I didn't even find it that audacious. Like it, it wasn't more extreme to me than uh, Chazelle's Babylon, for example. Right, right. Which it actually reminded me a lot of, where we have these two, three-hour, like, big, bombastic movies that have kind of, like, episodic in their structure. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the other major influence that I picked up on here, or at least that I was reminded of, was uh, Charlie Kaufman, um, and particularly, yes. like, Synecdoche, New York. Yeah, yeah. And the kind of... Um, funny absurdity that he works into his stories. Like for me, at least, my uh, my experience of this movie was that it was very much a comedy, and even in the theater, like there was a lot of consistent laughing. And yeah, yeah. Um, even at the points that were a little bit more horrifying, there's always this layer of strangeness, of weirdness, but always, I think, in a comedic way that um, made this movie. Um, not a horror movie at all to me. Um, like if if you forget about Hereditary and Midsummer, like I don't even I, I wouldn't have even thought of viewing this through the lens of horror. But it's it might only be because it comes from uh, the quote unquote horror guy um, that I think people might be looking at it like this. There's definitely elements in there that are very like horrifying to a certain mm -hmm. extent, or like feel like something out of a horror film but i think you're right in that like it does not feel like a horror film in the traditional sense it didn't mm -hmm. give me the same uh it didn't i never felt horrified in the way that i did do watching like midsummer or uh or hereditary mm. it is i laughed more than i like recoiled um so you know but it's also like it is also about like there's you know spiders and scary people and there there it's an expression of um it's very much an expression of anxiety and i think that's where like the comedy comes in it's like mm -hmm. the absurdity of putting on screen these these things that are happening to a character that we you might sometimes think in a, in your most paranoid or anxious moments you might worry about something happening or something being perceived in a certain way or like feel a certain way about a situation like it's it's really terrifying or scary but this movie in a lot of ways just kind of puts those things into reality and the effect of that is is more comedic than it is actually horrifying because I think everybody everybody watching this to some extent kind of understands the inherent just like ridiculousness of mm -hmm. um of th that element yeah yeah no I, I agree it's very much a movie about anxiety about fears and the way it kind of represses us the way it inhibits us as persons but also um the way it kind of 
leads to a way of thinking that is, as this movie shows and as you pointed out, sort of irrational and kind of silly. And I think that's very much the purpose of the absurdity in this, this movie, that it uh, kind of reveals the inherent silliness of the way we limit our own life experience in this way by being so pathologically afraid of the world around us. Um, which is not necessarily to say that it's something that we can just discard of, because I think this movie also very thoroughly explores where Bose's fears come from and the way right. it's instilled upon him through years of like um, nurture, I guess, by his mother. You know, what even would you say is the, the in one sentence like the premise of this movie? Like, what is the plot or the the Bo. story. <laughs> Bo is afraid. <laughs> That's I think what I would say. I mean, it's about it's about this man's uh, fears mm -hmm. about the world, and those fears come coming true. Essentially, like I think that would be my my one line pitch is like, what if somebody with an anxiety disorder, uh, like a severe anxiety disorder, what if all their fears just actually happened? Uh, and I think that's kind of what we get there. I mean, beyond that, it moves into, you know, these themes, it, it, it explores a lot of territory in terms of maybe what those fears are about, you know, that he has some kind of complex or it explores kind of the relationship of like how his fears relate to his relationship with his mother especially, um, yeah, yeah. you know, his fear about what his life is becoming and the purpose and meaning of life, um, his fears around sex and, uh, uh, you know, his own relationships and, and things like that, uh, you know, his ability to have children. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 it explores a lot of territory kind of within, like, around those fears. But that that, I think, is is the the core of it um just kind of like exploring yeah, yeah. fear itself and um and what that means or at least that feels to me like the thread the through line that kind of is tying everything together and there's the little bit of a plot where he did technically the plot is that he wants to go visit his mom but then yes. he's obstructed through external circumstances and his mom is angry and then she dies or passes away right apparently the day or so after and then he has to go to the funeral yeah um and that kind of sets him on his journey homewards before we get like too deep into maybe the themes you said something earlier that kind of resonated with me that i mm -hmm. want to maybe explore which is you mentioned like it almost didn't feel as like bombastic and over the top as you were expecting and i think i kind of agree with that i think maybe i this is why i'm really hoping to see it again because mm -hmm. i think the way people were talking about it yeah. i was expecting kind of the most insane thing maybe i've ever seen in my life and yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely up the, like there's definitely a lot happening um but it yeah it is closer to maybe something like a synecdoche new york which yeah. is also a very over the top movie mm -hmm. but like has has a thread it's not it's not just complete chaos mm 
Yeah, that's, I think, for me, the main thing. I felt like some people were talking about this, like it was some kind of fortress that right. uh, is almost too surreal to even understand on a sort of basic surface level. Right. Um, and so to my surprise, what I got was a more, A, a much more lighthearted story, like much more humorous and comedic than I figured, but also to some extent just more straightforward like it wasn't i didn't walk out of this movie feeling very confused about the direct presentation of it like i right it's not like any of the sequences were were truly unclear about the basic information that they had to convey you know yes um there's obviously like a lot of um discussion possible and for me also some confusion about what it all means but it wasn't um i don't know it, it wasn't I, I guess i was maybe watch or uh, maybe expecting something that was more surreal you know something that was more truly distanced from reality instead of uh what we got which which was more of an uh absurdism or absurdist right. work which is grounded in reality but has a kind of comedic or like absurd uh heightening of it yeah yeah um this this movie feels a lot to me like uh it's it, it's a different kind of thing it's more intense but it's in a similar vein to we talked about beef uh recently mm-hmm. for a nebula bonus episode which you can listen to on nebula uh and in that discussion I think I think I mentioned like that show to me feels like maybe there's a better word for this, but I was calling it like psycho expressionism, where it's like mm-hmm. what's happening in the story is a is is like an expressionistic manifestation of sort of like an internal psychological state for the character. Uh, yes, and yeah. which is what I think this movie is doing, and I think if you kind of have a handle on that going into the movie then it's not like what it what it's what exactly is happening or what it's doing isn't that big of like a mystery like i agree that there are some questions there's definitely questions there's definitely a lot happening but yeah i also didn't walk away from this going i don't i felt like i got m- m- more or less kind of what ariaster was going for with this mm-hmm within that i mean we we're kind of talking about what it is and like how what we think it's doing but like how in how maybe enjoyable or did you did you like that the the experience of the movie because for me i think there were parts of it that i was like oh this is cool i see what he's doing i like this mm-hmm. and then there were the highs were really high uh, I really liked the opening sequence. I really liked the like play in the woods. Um, there were moments that I really loved, and then there were other moments where I was just like, "Okay, let's let's move it along here." I'm I got kind of yeah, tired yeah. of this of like the sequence or whatever. So I had very mixed feelings, like moment to moment, about it. I, and mm-hmm. I was curious how you felt about that. Yeah, it, it's funny. I have the same feeling where I'm not sh- sure yet if I really liked it um i feel like this is one of those movies that's gonna be digested by everyone for like a year or maybe even longer before there's a definitive sort of collective judgment but yeah my initial feeling right now is that i'm 
curious to watch it again, but also kind of dreading having to sit through <laughs> another three yeah. hours of that. Yeah. For me, always the the downsides or the, uh, kind of the pros and cons of habit, having this more episodic structure is that um, there's a sort of like watching a series, there's uh, quicker like high moments where uh, when you're into like one of the episodes and then it more quickly reaches some form of climax but then when it once it moves into a second or like the, the, the subsequent episode you always have that moment where you kind of have to get into it again so yes um, yeah. the pros i guess is that you then you can deliver like a high moment sooner but you also have to win the audience this retention right. <laughs> sort of back every time you move into yes. a new episode um yeah. but yeah i i had the same feeling that you did i think where i once i got into an episode i was usually kind of happy with where it went and i liked that way uh almost each episode to some extent went into some surprising direction at some point yeah um but yeah there were definitely some that were uh, more poorly paced than others i would say or some that I, I was just wishing okay like i kind of get what's happening here now go faster right, um, right. yeah whereas like I, I was thinking i was actually thinking as i was watching the movie like how would this have been if if it would have just been a more yeah, yeah. if it was a more like compressed movie yeah. uh like let's say two hours or any you know a uh, more standard runtime uh, how that would have affected the movie-going experience. Because on the one hand, you know, if you look at that first episode in New York, um, there's a lot of gags that kind of emphasize the same thing. You know, it's right. about Bo's anxiety of the outer world, and it's expressed through, like, all these little gags that kind of communicate the same thing. So you could argue, like, you know, instead of doing... 12 separate jokes there you know you can do right. maybe seven or even five <laughs> yeah, to get the yeah, point yeah. across yeah but at the same time if you have this kind of runtime if you have this kind of space you do have the opportunity to really go into the nitty-gritty of that to really create yeah. that compounding effect that i think made that first sequence especially really fun and enjoyable yeah um so yeah, it's it's always one of those questions I ask myself it every time I see a long movie. Like, did did it have to be this long? You know, maybe maybe not. Uh, we'll never know. <laughs> <Because>. <laughs> yeah, unless uh, yeah, usually usually shorter cuts of movies uh, never get put out. The, the, we got the director's cut yeah. in theaters, so I don't think we'll ever get a uh, theatrical cut release mm. later. That's like the the two the two hour version or whatever yeah and the, the thing is if you if you have a long movie and you would cut it down and then watch the shorter cut then you watch the shorter version with the knowledge of the longer one of so what you, yes exactly it, it's hard to it's one of those impossible questions to some extent yeah I, I i thought about it a lot when i did my video on the Bellatar, which has you know especially right. satan tango is like seven hours long yeah. Which is the ultimate question or the ultimate movie to ask that question, like, does it have to be that long? Yeah. And yeah, the, I don't really have an answer for it, but um, yeah, it is what it is. 
<laughs> yeah. Part of the experience of a movie like this is is kind of the cumulative effect of it dragging you through Bo's life, especially when you consider how it ends. Mm-hmm. Like, how much is the moment-to-moment experience and then how much is the the total effect? And I think, like, the total effect of this movie is definitely different if it's a shorter movie to some extent. Now, whether or not, you know, the total effect of this movie fully justifies that amount of time or like i don't know it's a big swing i'm glad i'm glad it's out there i'm glad it exists i'm glad ari aster made it the and got to make it the way he wanted to make it um because i i like you know stuff like this but uh i i guess i guess my my uh caveat to all of that would be like you know, I watched this in a theater with a few other people. The, there was a couple beside me that were maybe in their 60s. And you were talking about how, like, you have to re-win the audience every time uh, you go to a new section. And I think, like, by the third section, like, the second time it goes to black and then it starts at a new place, they mm-hmm. literally, like, groaned out loud. And <laughs> they left, like, 15 minutes before the end of the movie uh, and were just, like, clearly, oh, like, so just not... Yeah, they were so close. <laughs> they were not on board with, you know, what was going on. And I'm like, I can't really blame them. You know, like, I love it. But like anybody who is coming from the perspective of this movie is too much for me, I can't do it. I also totally understand where that where they're coming from. And so yeah. part of the question in my mind is with with something like this, would a shorter version be more accessible to people like that? And then they might mm. access what the movie is trying to do. Or is it just like, you know, if you're not into this, you're not into it. So you might as well make it three hours. And like mm. the people who are going to like it are going to watch it for three hours. I don't know. Uh, again, there's no answer yeah. to that, I guess. But it's it's an interesting um, discussion. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should get into like some of those sections and what's going on in them. And, and maybe yeah. what this all possibly adds up to (laughs) this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mubi. Mubi is an online hand curated streaming cinema with a huge selection of movies from all around the world one of the things that they do that i really love is curate different sections on their website so they don't just curate the individual films that they add to the site they also kind of create these groups or themes of films And one of them that's happening right now is the Can Takeover. This is something that they've done, I think, pretty much every year for a long time. But around the time of the Can Festival, they feature films from past Can Film Festivals. In that section in the U.S., currently you can watch a movie called Butterfly Vision, which is a movie I randomly walked into at Can last year and ended up really enjoying. It's about this woman recovering from the trauma of war in Ukraine. I definitely recommend it. You can also see past can winners like Dogville from Lars von Trier or The Rider from Chloe Zhou. This feature really highlights the way that Mubi is trying to not just be a streaming service where you go to watch some things, but it's trying to bring kind of this festival cinema curation experience to a streaming service, which is something that I really enjoy. Go check it out right now. You can get a 30-day extended free trial when you use our link in the description Go to mubi.com slash cinema of meaning. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash cinema of meaning. And that will get you a 30-day extended free trial. You can explore the 
entire library, check out the CAN Takeover or just see what else they have to offer. So check that out. Thanks again to Mubi for sponsoring Cinema of Meaning. Now back to the podcast. For me, I'm not sure about you, but I I kind of wrote down five different acts or episodes. Like the first one, I wrote them down as the New York sequence, the, the first one. Then yeah. the misery sequence, the one that's kind of where he's trapped in the domestic lifestyle, which kind of plays out as the movie Misery, yeah. uh, the Stephen King story. Uh, the third one I called the Station Eleven sequence because it features that traveling uh, theater right. group, which is also at the center of the uh, excellent but underappreciated and overlooked uh, TV show Station Eleven. Yeah. Uh, then it's uh, I have just Home Part One and Home Part Two, where in the first part he kind of comes home and deals with his sort of the love and romance side of his past, the, the the long lost childhood love. And then home part two, which is sort of the reckoning with his mother and his final judgment. Yeah, I think that covers it all. Where do yeah. where does the um cruise ship flashback happen? Ooh. I think it, it happens I think it happens There's like little bits and pieces throughout here and there. The, okay. Okay. Movie I think. Um yeah, that's it's hard to pinpoint everything precisely right. after just one <laughs> viewing of this. Yes. That's the only other section though that I can think of. Um yeah. that that's less of like its own chapter and more of just kind of like a sub subheading. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think I think you you summarized those well. <laughs> For me the the first thing that I thought of when I saw the first episode is that this is like the way this is what Europeans think of what living in New York <laughs> is like. What America is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it like there it's just this manifestation of all the uh like there's there's just like crazy naked people running through the streets, everything's chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh Bo has to like run and dash and to get into his apartment. Uh, because, you know, if the, the people will sneak in the door, there's just all this like insane stuff happening outside. And so Bo's just kind of like hiding, terrified in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good summary. <laughs> it's, it's what, it's what, uh, maybe Europeans think America is like, or what, uh, like Fox news thinks like San Francisco or Portland is like uh yeah it's just all your all your worst nightmares about an urban environment um just actually a reality yeah so yeah for for me i think that section really established bo's anxieties about the world that he lives in yes yeah you know there's a uh, i wrote down a couple of because there's a lot of gags that kind of play out in like phases which i really liked and the way they kind of stacked on top of each other um you know there's some uh, anxieties about violence obviously about crime and even when he um there's that little uh, interaction that he has with a police officer where the police officer is police officer is like increasingly um agitated by him or like even yes yeah like don't make me do this and he Bo is like not even doing literally doing nothing which i guess is the 
is also a very American fear when it comes to interacting with the police. But um, it's kind of just a fear of both sides of that spectrum. You know, afraid of to be criminalized by, is that a word? Be, be victimized by criminals, right? Or be uh, uh, victimized by those who are supposed to help you in that other scenario. Right. Um, the the other things that I remembered were the um, anxieties about money and the way he um, he has that bit of, that that sort of bill that you have to that you have to consume with water and then he yes. takes it but he doesn't have any water and so he googles to see how bad it is and then the first <laughs> website that pop, pops up is like <laughs> remembering John <laughs> yeah. So that he runs to like the convenience store and gets a bottle of water, has a drink and kind of settles that fear. But then his credit card doesn't work and he has to get all this change from his pocket. And it's like endless coins that don't amount to like the full right. uh, uh, full amount that he, <laughs> yes. he, he has to pay. And while that's happening, he's lost his key already, that his key has been stolen out of the door. So he has his apartment door, like the door to his building propped open with a phone book. And so as he's trying to pay, people yeah, are going into his everyone. apartment building. Yeah. <laughs> Goes yeah. into his apartment specifically. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that happens. And then I think the last major uh, like source of anxiety there is also the anxiety about time and scheduling and having to make a flight and having to get up at a certain moment and right. having your night's sleep be like uh yes infringed upon or like being obstructed and uh yeah all, it all comes together in such a beautiful insane cocktail of like all these little fears that i think everyone has at some point but never like in the intensity and in the and the, the kind of at the same time in the way that bo uh experiences them here yeah um i think there's there's a there's a common thread that runs through a lot of those of the fears at least presented in this first section but mm -hmm. it's also a theme throughout the story which is this sense of uh like you are you have a very legitimate reason for what is happening or something very real is happening to you but the people around you are perceiving that you're either just uh you know like incompetent or crazy or um, you know, they're, they're like perceiving that you have done something wrong. Uh, and from your own perspective, it's just like, I'm just dealing with the circumstances that are in front of me. Um, and I think that gets to the heart of like the way a lot of anxiety operates in a, in a very specific way, or at least like a specific kind of anxiety where it's, it's not even so much about the bad things happening, but it's like other people perceiving that things that you're doing are like what they mean about you and central to this is kind of the the little conceit where you know he's getting ready to leave for the airport and then he, his key get literally gets stolen out of his door and he calls his mother and he's like hey my key's stolen what do you think i should do and she immediately takes this to be like an excuse that he's making because he doesn't want to come see his mother and mm -hmm like the way we've seen it play out at least like it's real that's what happened and if your key was stolen out of your door and you know 
if you lived in the, the part of town that he lives in, apparently you wouldn't want to leave your door unlocked for the entirety of this trip or whatever, uh, at least the way he perceives it. So, you know, that feels like a legitimate reason why you couldn't just leave and go to the airport. Um, but everything that happens to him is constantly sort of being misinterpreted. Like the guy in the store, when he's like trying to pay with his coins, the guy in the store isn't isn't understanding he's not like oh yeah sure you know if you're a few cents off whatever he's mm -hmm. like i'm gonna call the police right now because you're a criminal you're trying to scam me or whatever um and i i, I don't know i i just like the way it touched on that aspect of anxiety where you know i felt that at times where it's like it's, yeah. it's not that i'm afraid of doing something that's awkward or or accidentally wrong yeah. or something like that it's like I'm afraid if I accidentally do this thing, uh, like one of the weird paranoias I have sometimes is sometimes when I go into stores, I'm afraid that people are going to think I'm shoplifting hmm. and I've never shoplifted in my life. I've never been accused of shoplifting. I have no reason <laughs> to believe that anyone would ever think I was shoplifting, but mm -hmm. sometimes I walk into a store and if, and I like get a little surge of anxiety as I walk out of the store because right. I just always think somebody's going to be like, what, what, you're, st you're Maybe like the stealing. go off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's not that that would be that, even if that happened, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You know, I'd explain the situation or whatever, mm -hmm. or I'd be like, hey, look, look, I'm not shoplifting. But it's just like the fear of being accused of doing something that I'm not doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, I, I just like, I related to the, the way that, that this was, was conveyed um and yeah i thought that was that was well done yeah definitely captures that feeling of uh being afraid of having your actions or your intentions be interpreted in the worst way possible right, right. i guess that's also what happens with that police officer where he tries to display his innocence and his uh, like a willingness to cooperate and the police officer is, police officer is just like increasingly Right. It's only making things worse, you know, it's uh, yeah. to the point where he feels uh, the need that he has to run away or get shot. I think that pretty much covers the first episode. Yeah. Uh, he gets hit by, uh, yeah, I I'm not sure what he was running from. Um, there was a little surge of urgency there where he... Oh, he, he ends up in this bath yeah. and then he there's we're, we're only man mentioning like half the <laughs> there's so much stuff happening in this first section uh but yeah he ends up in this bath and there's this guy above him and there's spiders yeah. and he ends up running out of the apartment naked and he's running yeah. around through the streets terrified and then he gets hit by this van and then wakes up in mm. and he's being taken care of by this yeah. husband and wife yeah. Before we get to that, like as a side note, I do want to mention that I love the way that's a lot of those fears and anxieties and those absurd situations were to some extent relatable, but there were also some that felt just very specifically uh, things that Ari Asta was personally <laughs> right. afraid of, yeah, or yeah. like based on some <laughs> nightmare that he once had, but that yeah. no one else specifically can relate to, um, such as the yeah. guy hanging on top of his ceiling in the right <laughs> uh, when he's taking a bath <laughs> yes yeah but yeah then we get to uh the, the kind of second episode where he is now in this more domestic setting where he's 
uh, at the house of these of this surgeon and his wife who they hit him with the car and he's now recovering in their house they're taking care of him because they feel guilty and they kind of say to him you know you know everything's going to be fine we'll take you to your mom like tonight or tomorrow morning and then every time something happens and it gets p- postponed a little bit and that's when it kind of pretty soon turns into this kind of Stephen King-ish uh, misery situation where he comes to f- feel at least that he's now trapped in this house and the wife also gives him these or tries to give him these ominous warnings that something is not right. correct and the daughter of the couple who whose room he's staying in she's increasingly hostile towards him and she has this weird connection with the army veteran that is staying in the garden <laughs> for some reason yeah yeah who's also one of their lost souls that they're taking care of but um yeah i i like this is probably the sequence that i felt went on the longest for me like uh i felt like this is the one where i most quickly like got the point of it and i was feeling the emotion of it and then it just went on for yeah a little bit too long but yeah yeah i i agree with that as well it felt i i felt trapped in this sequence which maybe <laughs> yes. that's what he was going for but i don't think it was it was more trapped in a like okay i'm ready for the next thing and less like i feel yeah. trapped in the way that bow the bow is trapped um but i guess like it thematically makes sense that i feel like if if the first section was about bow's uh fears of the world i feel like this was right. more his fears of his of like domesticity uh or like domestic yeah, yeah. life and family life and maybe his own uh a reflection of his own up up uh upbringing where he may have felt trapped in the way that he does now where um he is at home but at the same time he's out he feels out of place and he feels like he doesn't belong like he's in inhabiting this space that isn't his and that he shouldn't be uh, yeah. allowed into even though I, he doesn't he has a memory of growing up with a brother or like he has a nightmare of a brother that uh but um he doesn't explicitly have a sibling or had a sibling growing up and i'm not sure what the army veteran was supposed to <laughs> signify in this story <laughs> there there there's something going on with the family where they're it's like taking... a boogeyman uh, character yeah they're they're taking care of like Bo and this other guy, but they're completely neglecting their daughter and yeah. their son. They had a son who has died somehow. So there's this weird like dynamic where they're kind of replacing the son with Bo and maybe this other guy, and then the daughter's jealous about that or or upset about being neglected. It's it's a very bizarre, um, yeah, situation. One thing I will I will say about this section that I liked is the way it kind of gets at this feeling of um, like the scenario you talked. There's a scenario where they're like, "Oh, we'll take, we will take you um, to the, we'll drive you out to your uh, where your mom is for the funeral." Because um, we didn't touch on that, but by this point, Bo's found out that his mom died. Mm. But the dad is is kind of like. They're like, oh, oh, well, you know, uh, can it, let's take you tomorrow because I'm busy, if that's all right with you. They're very, like, deferring and like, oh, whatever you want, we'll, you know, we'll make it work. But, like, mm-hmm. there's this feeling of, like, he doesn't really have, 
like he's being pressured into like something that he doesn't want or his needs aren't actually being looked after exactly uh or there's this weird feeling of like these people don't actually have my desires and interests in mind even though their entire demeanor is about projecting this like oh we're we're taking care of you we're we'll, oh we'll do we'll do whatever you want oh if it's okay with you um mm-hmm. there's a very like weird dynamic there that um i think also gets at an anxiety like a a, a certain kind of anxiety where it's like you know uh I, I don't know how common this is but i think some people can often feel like oh people are only being nice to me. they're behind the niceness the niceness that i experience or people's attempts to take care of me is just a facade and mm. really behind that is some more like malicious intent um like that's very much the vibe of this yeah this section i think um, or not even just malicious or, or not even malicious but maybe some sometimes also just neglect or like self-interest yes. right right um, yeah. yeah yeah so yeah i think that's like that's a core uh a core part of of this section mm-hmm. um the only other detail i think that's in here that that's maybe worth noting because it it relates thematically to later is there's a moment where like he's looking through security cameras on the tv and then he sees like footage of the upcoming movie playing out um so that instills this like this feeling of he's being watched or also like that his kind of fate is predetermined like maybe yeah there's there's nothing he can do to like change what's going to happen in the future i like the way that played out where he's initially just looking at his past interactions but then he realizes he can fast forward to the (laughs) present tense and then sees himself in real time and then can even go beyond it into the future and then there's a lot of like a a few flashes of some scenes that will uh won't happen until the end of the movie Um, but yeah there's definitely that obvious feeling of like entrapment uh spatially as well as maybe temporally where he feels like he this is gonna be his life or this is just uh as you said like his fate is sealed and there's just n- no more room to uh operate in or just to have any freedom in or yeah um yeah it's just all altogether like an op- oppressive feeling about not being able to be or just not being able to um have any freedom or um, make any decision or yeah do anything basically this section also ends with him just like terrified running trying to get away uh and then i think he runs into a tree branch in the woods or something Mm -hmm. i don't remember exactly what happens yeah um that's exactly what happens (laughs) okay (laughs) well that's what ushers us into um the station 11 yeah uh, chapter of the of the of the film the forest um theater group yes which has the prolonged um sequence where um some theater like an angelic person describes or narrates a story which uh becomes a very long tale about uh what turns out to be bose's life yeah um which ends with this really nice or really funny paradox that immediately renders the whole thing 
uh, obsolete in some way. Um, right, right. <laughs> yeah, we get we we enter into the play. The play ends up being about Bo. Bo has these like children that he's raising, um, and then eventually he reunites with these sons that he's been looking for that he got separated from. Yeah. I thought it was a really this this part of the um, movie was the one that kind of like I felt actual emotional resonance with mm-hmm. like um, you know I thought it, it pulled off the weird like tangent pretty well and Joaquin Phoenix's performance sells it pretty well mm-hmm. um, but then it ends with this conceit of like Bo for some reason his father died when he uh, like when he had Bo. Of Bo, yeah, yeah, when he conceived in of the Bo. very moment, that's what his yes. mom tells him. Anyway, that's what his mom tells yeah. him, and so he has this fear that if he ever tries to have children mm-hmm. or basically sex at all, yeah, uh, he's going to die, uh, uh, like as he ejaculates. Basically, is how they put it in the movie. Yeah, it's funny how that that's already communicated visually in the very first episode when you. When he's in the bathtub, there's a very brief like glance at his s- super like enlarged testicles, oh, yes. but it's not yeah, explained yeah. or addressed in the moment. It's just like right. a, almost like a split second where you are like, "Wait, did I see that correctly? Did he really have <laughs> yeah, like yeah. just such <laughs> huge balls?" Or <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. but yeah, it makes sense later on when you get the further backstory that he's just basically afraid to even ejaculate yeah. once because he believes that's what killed his father. Right. This section, I think, is starting to build up maybe some of the more, like, anxieties about life and the trajectory of life. Mm-hmm. So if we have chapter one, you, you mentioned is about the world. Chapter two is more about domestic anxiety, family anxiety. Um, and then mm-hmm. this chapter, we start to see, like, Bo's anxiety about his purpose, about maybe wanting to have a family but not being able to because of his fear about it. Um, Oh, we forgot to mention. So his sons basically are like, he explains this scenario that he has where if he ever ejaculates, he'll die to his sons. And then they're like, well, how did you have us then? And like the whole fantasy basically evaporates. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we realize like Bo's just been imagining all this while the play has been going on or something. I don't know who knows Mm -hmm. what's actually happening, but it's yeah. back to quote unquote the reality of him sitting in the forest. It's also worth noting how the play or the story that he sees himself uh, having is very much like it reminded me of like the the Book of Job or something like that, where he does he he finds the woman he loves, he gets these three children that are like perfect, and then there's this big storm and everything washes away, and he's basically doomed to spend the rest of his life. Uh, searching for the ones that he lost even though um, at the end there's a sort of twist where it turns out that that his sons have actually been looking for him but because he was looking for them they couldn't find each other or something along those lines I don't remember that part exactly but um, there's some kind of suggestion there that because he's been so frantically searching for his life or his the, the life that he knew is that is exactly what ended up uh, being the reason that he missed out on it. Right. But yeah, then at the end, there's that little moment where he's like, uh, uh, I thought I had to stay celibate. And even now to this day, I still am. And then his son's like, wait, how 
<laughs> yeah. How did we happen then? <laughs> and that's when, yeah, he's confronted with like the, 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 maybe the core essence of his anxiety instead of like, he has fears for the future and the fears for, or, you know, maybe if I get a wife, maybe she'll die. Maybe I have sons, maybe they'll get washed away in a flood or something like that. So those are like the more, I would say more general fears that everyone can experience or, you know, everyone has certain worries to the future. No, especially when we hope for something nice or something beautiful, there's the awareness that maybe someday it will be taken away. But then as he lets himself wander through that, he realizes that he's not even able to reach those kinds of fears be, uh, because he's being held back by like a more fundamental one that's even more deeply embedded within his character and that's the you know the more deeper fears to even be intimate with a woman or uh to even be connected with his own sexuality or whatever right um so yeah that's it's kind of a journey inwards that also i think um goes a little bit uh deeper to the essence of Bo's afraidness or you know as the titles yeah, Bo's yeah. afraid and um the whole movie is basically getting i think chipping away at the essence of what Bo is afraid of um and i feel like this one then goes a little bit deeper to that uh layer of fear that um is then confronted in the next section i'm, I'm not sure if there's anything else that um sig anything else significantly that happens in this one there's the the army veteran comes back into the scene right. and blows up the whole camp, um, which has Bo running away again. And um, I'm not sure if there's a cut to black here or that he... Um, I'm not sure how we reached the... I don't remember exactly how he reached the house. Um, yeah, I don't I don't either. But somehow he gets he gets back to his, his childhood home. Yeah. And I think that's when I think at some point in here we the flashback to the cruise happens, uh, or there this there's a flashback to his childhood at some point, and we also mm -hmm. learned that there was this like lost love. There was this girl on this cruise that he fell in love with, and then they ended up like separated from each other. Um, yeah, and so there there's this detail of this woman that he. As he told her that he would wait for her, um, but they've been separated ever since yeah. then. Yeah, I think she they just met on a cruise, and at the end of the cruise they left, and that was it. Yeah. Or she had to go early. Or yeah. it's also interesting that the all the memories of his lost love are also deeply intertwined with, uh, like, sort of problematic memories of his mother. Um, yeah, yeah, she was somehow always there for whenever that love story happened, and so those two are weirdly connected in a way that I'm not entirely sure like how how it all fits together. But it uh, it either way it it does come like both of those um, elements come back in the finale where um, uh, Bo first goes into the home to see his mother, which he quickly quickly realizes isn't his. That mother, but he doesn't reveal that straight away. I think um, right. he he kind of wanders through the house, and that's when he meets the um, 
the the now adult version of that uh lost love that he once had yeah um and they kind of connect and she seems really into it for some reason um so they go upstairs uh there's this um to the mother's bedroom i think it was to yeah kind of complicate the whole mother love <laughs> yes. relationship yeah, yeah. further and he both finally has sex um i was almost expect expecting here like this um because he he's very worried about ejaculating because he's yeah he, he's afraid of dying and you know he's afraid of like all that pent up like material shooting out of him and um did, did you see that first scary movie way back in the day uh no oh uh, there's also this like uh very silly uh spoof of like uh some guy losing his virginity and then he kind of shoots the woman is also on top and he ejaculates and he sort of shoots her into the ceiling and that's <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> almost right. what i was expecting here to happen but right that doesn't happen but he does seem to inflict some internal damage on her part or at least or or <laughs> she has the same like uh she has the condition he was afraid that he had or something mm. i don't know uh but yeah she's the one who dies instead yeah. of him so he he he's he has this moment of kind of like such relief uh that this fear that he's had all his life mm-hmm. isn't true he's fine he doesn't die but then immediately that dissolves into like this pure terror of mm-hmm. uh she's she's the one who has died and that's when the mother reveals herself also we yes. had a weird connection where she's just been standing there watching that happen uh too right um yeah 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 the the, everything from this point on in the movie like from the time you get to the house onward like i still think i have a vague sense of like what what the movie is going for and it's still about fears and unraveling those fears but it it reaches a new sort of like heightened absurdity where you know, it's not just absurdly expressing these inward fears outwardly. There's, there's like, it gets, it gets weirder and more like Freudian and more, um, I mean, he goes into an attic at some point, there's a massive penis monster in the attic. Uh, there's, there's just all kinds of stuff happening here that, um, you know, with one watch is really hard to like try to unravel the significance of, um, there's also so there's a reveal of like his mother's actually alive, which we find out like he knew, she, and there's kind of this suggestion that she faked her death because like he's such a terrible son, he would never come to see her, and she's like, oh, the I knew the only way to get you to come here would be to like pretend I died or or something mm-hmm. like that. I, and but then we also find out like maybe this whole scenario has been kind of a setup from the beginning, like his. Oh, there's the reveal of like his therapist. His mother has access to his therapist, and oh yeah, all like tapes of all of his confessions and therapy. And almost every character seems to be an employer or, or employee of yes. his mother, even right. down to like the. Uh, it was kind of revealed earlier that the, his long lost love was a 
employee of his mother, but then right. he walks into this room or an office, I don't really remember, where there's uh, like a poster with all these employees and you see like the, the surgeon or like the, the couple from the, the second episode and even like all the citizens that are on the street in New York, they all seem to be working for his mom too. Which I'm not sure what to make of that. If like, like I'm, I'm not sure what the mother's goal here was. If all this was deliberately orchestrated, you know, was it just like to terrorize Bo, or um, because if she did really want him to come home, she did make it like painfully right. difficult for him to do so. I think I think to really unravel that, we have to get into the last bit. Mm. Um, so there's this like end sequence where he tries to escape again. He ends up in this boat, and then he ends up in this weird, like, coliseum, amphitheater-type thing in the where he's on this boat in the yeah. middle of it, and his mother is there, and his therapist is, or a lawyer is there or something, mm -hmm. and there's this, like, final judgment of Bo's life. Um, and uh, the, I watched an interview with Ari Aster where he he talked about equating the mother and God together. Um, and I think like that is kind of the move he's doing to some extent. I didn't necessarily pick up on that the mm. first time I watched it. Although like I got the essence of like, Oh, that last scene is like this final judgment. Um, yeah, and yeah. so that's, I, th I think where we move like into this last set of anxieties that are like existential anxieties about the meaning of life and about like fate and somebody watching you. Um, Ari Aster has a is is Jewish, um, and so has this like religious background that I think gives this context of like a God that is very like present and watching everything you're doing, and maybe to some extent like orchestrating things, you, you know, in a way that you can't really escape. And then at the end of it is going to like kind of pass judgment on your life. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think they're like that. This is where we get sort of like those anxieties, almost like religious existential anxieties. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what his actual beliefs are, but he, th he's obviously expressing anxieties about these things, regardless of what, what he yeah. really believes is reality. So I think, I kind of think that's what's going on at the end there. We're mm -hmm. like, the mother transforms into this like godlike character, whether that's meant to like be a commentary about God or a commentary about, you know, how he feels about his mother. I don't, or both. I don't know. Um, but I think that's sort of what all that stuff mm -hmm. is kind of alluding to. Yeah. I think either way, it's just also the tragedy of feeling that your last or your final life's judgment or like the judgment of your life in its totality is going to be based on what your mother thinks of you so that right, i think that right. also just gets into the root of his anxiety that he's just yes. he feels like the the very essence of his soul is like spiritually dependent on or spiritually connected to his mother's perception of him or his mother's judgment of him right um but yeah, other than that, I found this section to be the most confusing, um, or at least I'm not sure what was, th this might be the only part where I genuinely, I'm not sure how to interpret it or like what's being communicated because 
um, on the one hand, we have the mother character who, you know, in 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 this sequence and also before it, uh, when she was directly talking to Bo and not through this lawyer character, um, she was basically accusing him of being a bad son. Where uh, she was just showering him with unconditional love, and he wouldn't even so much as thank her or give her a birthday present or whatever, you know. And I feel like there there were maybe some legitimate themes here about how a parent can be disappointed by her child or their child. Um, but at the same time, I also felt because we've been experiencing everything from Bo's perspective, I didn't feel that anywhere in the movie it was really suggested that Bo may have been not a great son. You know, from the very beginning, right. it feels like he's doing everything in his power to... Uh, go to his mother and to then see it, go see to her funeral or and even before that go see see to her being alive he even gets that uh little present for her um and, and he seems to be like always concerned with his mother and from our perspective it seems like it's like external circumstances or maybe like anxieties um that have uh stood in the way f of uh f for him being the perfect son so um if at the end we're supposed to feel that uh you know some sort of sympathy for the mother character especially during the judgment where they kind of blame him of all this more formally and he's just there kind of defending him in my right. opinion like reasonably like it didn't feel like the judgment was like was it supposed to be in sort of unfair judgment that was passed down on him or was it like a genuine reckoning and like i'm not sure what i'm what i was supposed to feel there um maybe that gets cleared up on the second viewing maybe right. maybe not but um yeah I'm, I'm just not sure what the takeaway here was like what's the what what's being suggested here i i kind of took the ending as like uh, an expression of fear about judgment so like fear that mm -hmm. your final judgment will kind of be this one-sided um unfair sort of like judgment of your actions entirely based on sort of this external perception of like how they came across so that beginning anxiety that we have of like it's not about what i did it's about how other people are perceiving what I'm doing and not understanding my reasoning or motivations or the situation I'm in uh, and just perceiving me as like having done something wrong, even though like I'm re just reacting as best I can to the situation that's happening to me. That anxiety escalated to the point of like, okay, now the final judgment for whether or not you're a good person is being based on those external um mm -hmm those external things and not on some kind of uh like internal motivation or uh like understanding of of what's actually going on um so yeah i think like i think it's it's an anxiety about a very cruel and unjust kind of judgment uh and then i think there's also like there's also an element there. So the judgment is passed and then the boat flips over and Bo drowns and we're just left in silence and mm -hmm. the audience that is there in the theater 
uh, a round bow just kind of slowly empties out. And it feels very much like the way a theater slowly empties out, like after a movie ends. Mm -hmm. And then the movie ends and the real theater slowly empties out. And I think there's also this anxiety there about like, okay, now I've put from Ari Aster's perspective, like now I've put all this stuff that presumably comes at least from my own brain, you know, and from my own life to some extent, like out there for Mm -hmm. you to judge and like, where does that leave us? And how do we as the audience feel about that? And is there any, how do we judge that? Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I think there's some element there that that is trying to be conveyed. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's like all of this accumulatively is about like, oh, Bo is afraid of judgment. Like that's the like that's the bit at the end mm-hmm. um, that it's all built towards. I don't you know, maybe that's too concise for what this movie is doing. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'd have to watch it again. But uh, that was definitely the, the what I what I walked away feeling the first time. Yeah. Um, but there might be something else going on there, or or more going on there. But I think you're right. I will say I think you're very right about like that last scene. Definitely is not presenting a fair. It doesn't not seem to at all be presenting like a mm-hmm. counter argument or a fair. Yeah. Um, but I think that in itself is is an anxiety of like oh. I'm going to get to the end of my life and then I'm not even going to be able to explain like my own, my own side of things. It's just like, well, we, we saw you were a horrible son and everybody else was good. And, you know, now you're judged based on that. One thing we forgot to mention is before the, you know, we, we kind of been talking about the confrontation with his mother at the house and the confrontation with his mother at the end simultaneously. But in the first version there is a more of a one-on-one confrontation where Bo does kind of fight back by explaining that the supposedly unconditional love that his mother kept giving him wasn't so unconditional at all and that he actually felt um tremendously like uh pressured by it or like he felt like it was in some way transactional and he ends up killing his mother in that oh yeah goes. i forgot about this and that's, yeah. <laughs> yes okay yeah yeah so he, he kills his mother and then he flees the house and enters into this more yeah. final judgment e version of yeah. the same confrontation basically i'm not sure what that adds that that bit of knowledge adds to the whole thing but right um one more thing i'll say about the end is that uh, my initial response there that was that it felt like a kind of bookend to the very beginning of the movie because it opens with Bo's literal birth right I, I actually yeah. I actually missed the very very opening shots because oh, I, really? I came in it ends with him late. sort of kicking and screaming in the womb and then coming out and then you kind of have the same thing at the end where he's supposedly now under uh, under the boat and he's right. kind of kicking and then it but instead of him yeah. going into life he now kind of quietly out. slips out of it um i think there might also be just a anxiety there you know uh, i think all, all, everything you said about that fear of judgment is seems correct like uh, i think that fits very well but there's also just that maybe that anxiety of then you know you, you pass your 
your whole life passes by, then it ends, and then everyone just gets up and leaves, and <laughs> right, <yeah>. nothing really <laughs> changed in any way or form. Yeah. Or like, it's also a great way uh, because Bo is then gone, and then we're looking at the audience, and maybe if you can see it as sort of a mirror of ourselves, like it's kind of maybe questioning you what does this mean to you you know what does it you know I, i've just shown you three hours of what it looks like to be completely dominated and oppressed by fear and anxiety is this and then right. it feels like at the end he kind of asks you is this what you want like is this worth right. it yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. is it, or like isn't this absurd maybe to some extent and um, so in that sense, I think there's a kind of a hopeful note maybe at the end there too, but it is, it does get a little meta, which I'm not always too big of a fan of in, in where it, it's a little bit too, becomes a little bit too allegorical maybe for, right. um, oh, the audience in the movie is actually you, the audience, you know, but yeah, I think there's, there's probably a lot more to unpack there and, uh, also in that sequence before it, but, um, yeah, it's, uh. It's one that I'm gonna have to rewatch to get like a maybe even a couple of times to get the yeah to get a full grasp on it if that's even possible. I like you mentioning that the ending almost feels optimistic, which hmm. I think if you literally describe what's going on in this movie seems absurd. But we talked at the beginning about how it feels more like a comedy than a, a horror film, and I think that's an important piece of this movie. Um, there's a concept in uh, it's it, in acceptance and commitment therapy. I forget exactly what it's called, um, but there's it, I think it's in multiple forms of like therapeutic thought, where you take an anxiety that you have internally, maybe something that you tell yourself repeatedly, um, you know, that's an expression of judgment or fear or something like that, uh, and you externalize that judgment uh vocalize it this is an exercise that you know some people might do you vocalize it and you vocalize it in a in a like a silly voice or something like that and the practice of doing this the idea behind it is that like by taking it out of your brain where it feels reasonable and externalizing it and kind of giving it this ridiculous character you are able to see the absurdity of that fear that anxiety or that judgment like you know if you're telling yourself like uh you know they think you're shoplifting in your brain like that sounds reasonable but if if i took that anxiety and was like oh they think you're shoplifting they think you're shop like all of a sudden <laughs> you know it's like oh yeah that's absurd like that's crazy i shouldn't be worried about that yeah, yeah. and i feel like that ultimately is kind of what this movie is doing is just like taking all these things that you might be afraid of and just like putting them out there in the most ridiculous manner you could. And, and there's this like catharsis that you can feel, I think, as a viewer, when you see that on screen and you see it in that like for, for what it actually looks like if you played that out as a reality. And mm -hmm. when you see that, you don't think, oh, yeah, that's a legitimate fear. You think oh okay this is this is ridiculous maybe that isn't some like maybe it's absurd for me to actually be worried about that and i think that's where that like 
the the comedy a lot of the comedy and sort of optimism of this movie comes from even though it's sort of this abjectly like horrifying like string of events mm-hmm. uh I don't know. Yeah, the, you you like I didn't walk out of it being like, oh wow, that was, you know, it was like a journey and a drag to a certain extent, but like I didn't walk out of it feeling depressed, and I think that's that's a big part of why. Thank you so much for listening and watching. We now have a video version of the podcast. If you'd like to watch that, it's available on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash at cinema of meaning. You can also find the link to that in the show notes for the podcast version. You can also watch it on Nebula early and without any ads. Links are in the description for how you can find that. When you watch on Nebula, in addition to getting that ad-free early version, you also get access to all of our bonus episodes. Last month we talked about the Netflix series Beef, which... I mentioned earlier, I think shares kind of commonality with this movie is operating. So if you enjoyed this, that discussion might interest you. You can get that when you listen on Nebula. Go to nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning to sign up, which supports our channel. We appreciate that. Also, if you're interested in joining our Discord community where we discuss episodes and movies, you can do that by clicking the link in the description below. So check that out and we'll talk to you next week.